Hello and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who entered this office on a false Paraguayan passport. <laughs> His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Oh, sorry, Rockwell Inyo. Yeah, Rockwell Inyo. Thank you very much. <laughs> I did. And I also have $7 in my checking account. So there you go. Do you think that part's true? That what? Ronaldinho only has, it wasn't even $7, right? It was $6.59. Excuse me. Excuse me. All right. So I'm richer than Ronaldinho is what you're saying uh-huh. to me. Uh, no, I, I mean, I think that he has that in one of his accounts. I hope I have so. to believe that even with the most financial man- like mismanagement, he is not at that level of financial mismanagement. I hope I hope he's doing better than that. Yeah, yeah. I, he has to be. So we, should we let's, let's, I mean, he got a three million dollar fine for like operating an illegal sugar plantation or and something. Couldn't pay it, and that's why he had his Brazilian passport confiscated. Right. So it's, the, it's the, the fact he couldn't pay it is the worrying mm-hmm. part, right? Yeah. If people, I think we've basically just explained the story Pretty much. Uh, that we're referring to. I would love to know what Ronaldinho has done with his money. You can't party hard enough to spend all that Barcelona money. That feels like a challenge, and I feel like it's one that he has very much accepted. <laughs> oh, okay. Fingers crossed that Ronaldinho is not doing as badly as recent stories suggest. Let's hope. But thank you to him for giving us an intro to today's show. Yeah, that was kind of him. <laughs> that was kind of him. On today's show, uh, we have... Eight, I count eight listener questions, and we'll have a review mm-hmm. of the US versus England in the She Believes Cup. You're going down, Daryl. The She Believes review is not at the top of the show because mm-hmm. it hasn't happened yet. There it is. <laughs> there will be um, a brief um, lacuna, mm-hmm. brief interlude. No, <laughs> lacuna is when you forget, right? There's going to be a brief interlude. I have no in, idea. In today's show, where we'll watch uh, USA versus England mm-hmm. in the She Believes Cup, uh, and then we'll review it. Oh, it's pronounced uh, lacuna matata, is what you were looking for, I believe. <laughs> This is the gold we have you in here for, Taylor. There you go, buddy. There you go. We also have you here to answer questions like this one Mm -hmm. from Leon Smith. I love this question. Leon Smith um, is a Cymru fan, Mm -hmm. he says, and also, thanks to TSS, interested in the US men's national team. So he wants to know, what would a combined Wales and USA 11 look like? What system would it play and who would manage the side, assuming all current players and staff are available to choose from? Quick clarification there. Uh, He's a fan of what team? Cymru, which, which is, is? The, the Welsh word for Wales. There we go. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to assume there are some people out there who may not have known that. Uh-huh. Uh, for example, me, just before you explained to me what it was <laughs> off air. If you're looking for background, there's an episode from the current season of The Crown mm-hmm. where Prince Charles has his investiture as the Prince of Wales. It's all about sort of learning about Welsh history. Yeah. Recommended. That sounds like a parody of British television, I have to say. <laughs> Genuinely really good episode. Do you watch The Crown? No. Do you even watch The Crown, bro? Do you even watch The Crown, bro? No, I do not. I, I'm aware <laughs> that I should, but I do not. All right. Oh, I'd recommend just that episode for a bit of Welsh history. I don't yeah. because I, I'm – oh, never mind. I was going to make it way too contentious right away. <laughs> Instead, I will answer this. Um, in terms of who would manage the team, I think if this actually were to happen for some weird reason that they were forced to combine, I think it would end up being Ryan Giggs. But I think Greg really? Berhalter would be the better solution. So, yeah, Ryan Giggs is the current Welsh national team yes. manager. I took this to mean that it, um, any oh, players and staff, mm-hmm. I thought maybe – Maybe all-American coaches were available. So mm-hmm. I went with Bob Bradley. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that I'm fine with that. But that I, think, I think you're correct. All current players and staff, it means that it's mm-hmm. Berhalter versus Giggs. Yeah. And in terms of who has spent the most time <laughs> coaching teams mm-hmm. and learning about things, it's Greg Berhalter, it's Greg Berhalter. the winner by a distance. Here. Exactly. Yeah. Except I really do just think that it'd be Giggs coming from like Man United and now managing Wales. I mean, yeah, yeah no, to your point, yes, Berhalter has more experience at both club and I believe international level. It might be yeah. right around the same. But I'm going Berhalter as well then. Yeah, but I, th- but I do think realistically it would be Gigs because he's the higher profile one, right, yeah. which would be annoying. Maybe it'd be a, uh, a Yogi Lowe 
uh, Jurgen Klinsmann sort of situation. Before we get into this, mm-hmm. I assume we're each going to name our 11, our combined Wales and US 11. To some extent. Um, I. What do you mean to some extent? I mean, I've got the Welsh players that I think would be best in a Greg Berhalterian system. I struggle with the centre backs. That's where I kind of held off. Well, so here's the point mm-hmm. I want to make is normally when people ask us to, to combine two national teams, yeah. they tend to solve each other's problems. Yes. And what I found is they the accentuate. US and Wales have really similar problems, yep. which is um, a lack of like high, high, high end centre backs. And the lack of a striker. I would have much preferred if Leon um, was a Poland fan Mm -hmm. and we could plug Lewandowski into the US men's national team. That would solve some issues. Right, but Wales don't really have a centre forward either. Mm -mm. Ah. Mm -mm. So I have done some improvising uh, with that in mind. Wales usually in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-1-4-1 under uh, Ryan Giggs. So not wildly dissimilar. I think the 4-1-4-1 or 4-3-3, you know, semantics. It's the same. Uh, They usually have uh, Daniel James and Gareth Bale out wide. I have kept Daniel James as one of my wingers. I've moved Gareth Bale to centre forward. I think that's probably the only way to deal with it in terms of the lack of options at yeah. that number nine spot. What else have you done? Um, I have Aaron Ramsey as the number eight yes. for the U.S., not the number 10. I have Christ- kept Christian Pulisic as that number 10, and that allows Tyler Adams to be the number six. So what's your shape? I think it's like a four-one-four-one, basically, okay. with Gareth Wh- Bale up top. Who's, who's in the back then? That's a great question, Daryl. Who's in your back? <laughs> okay, I mean, I can read you my full 11. Sure, um, sure, sure, right. sure. Um, in goal, mm-hmm. Zach Steffen. I agree. It's basically came down to Zach Steffen versus Wayne Hennessy. Mm-hmm. Um, only one of those players did a Nazi salute and then lied about what they were doing. There you go. So Zach Steffen is the goalkeeper. I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, my back four is um, Serginho Dest at right back. Mm-hmm. Um, centre-back pairing of Ethan Ampadu. Uh-huh. And John Brooks. Right. Yep. Ethan Ampadu and John Brooks. I, I did the same. The correct How much of that was informed pairing. by Ethan Ampadu playing center back in that one game for Leipzig? Quite a lot. Yep. <laughs> Quite a lot, but I also really, really No, like I'm him. like, this is my exact thought process. Ben Davies at left back. Did you already say that? Ben Davies yeah. at left back, I think, is a really solid. And actually, he really fits mm-hmm. the Greg Berhalter system. Yes. He's like the, um, the premium Tim Ream. He really is. <laughs> Tim, he is... Tim Premium is Tim... Ben Davies. <laughs> That's good stuff. The, the one guy that nearly made the cut That's is stuff, someone... Darryl. Most people were, might not be familiar with this mm-hmm. name. Chris Meppham. He's only 22. Mm-hmm. He's been playing centre-back for Bournemouth yep. this season. He's caught my eye a couple of times. I went back and watched a load of highlights. Chris Meppham's really, really good. Is he? But I he see. didn't play in a Champions League knockout game against Tottenham and Shine, like Ethan Ampadu did. There we it's go. It's just more exciting, right, yeah. to have Ampadu. I right. think so. I, I did the same thing with you as you, though, although I didn't then go back and watch the footage, and that's where I stopped with him. I was like, I'm not going to have time to watch enough of him to say whether or not he would be good, so I'll go with Ampadu. <laughs> there we go. So there's my back four. Uh-huh. My midfield three, mm-hmm. which was originally going to be under Bob Bradley, I think it works for Greg Behalter as well, is Tyler Adams, mm-hmm. Aaron Ramsey, yep. and then it came down to Joe Allen or Weston McKenney. Yeah. And you could argue, okay, Weston McKenney's playing the top tier in mm-hmm. the Bundesliga. Um, Joe Allen's in the second tier in England for Stoke City. But I remember Joe Allen really impressing pretty recently in the Premier League. Again, I went and watched recent footage of Joe Allen. He's still got it. Mm-hmm. Still Joe Perlo. Still, I think he still performs for Wales. He's still really good like at sort of intercepting passes, uh, making smart decisions, mm-hmm. really hard to dispossess. I think Joe Allen still edges it ahead of Weston McKennie, at least in my 11. So my midfield is Adams, Ramsey, Allen. Can you skip to your centre forward? Yeah, my centre forward is Gareth Bale. That's right. Okay, so yeah. we did the same thing in the there was, uh, there wasn't, and James. I have Pulisic and Harry Wilson. Ooh, okay. Harry Wilson, uh, right, uh, sorry, uh, left-footed right winger. Uh-huh. He's on loan from Liverpool to Bournemouth. He's been tearing it up. Mm-hmm. Bournemouth haven't been tearing it up. But Harry, Wil- Harry Wilson's a really, really, later. really, really good player. Yeah. So I liked Wilson and Pulisic on the wings. And then Gareth Bale is sort of a, a free-floating centre forward, maybe Firmino, Firmino-esque. Okay. Yeah. All right. This definitely works better with 
Bradley than with Berhalter, mm-hmm. but um, it's on. It's in my notes now, so I'm stuck with it. What if you moved uh, Pulisic to compete with uh, Joe Pirlo as that number ten? What, what, who would you have there if you? Well, did Joe Pirlo is not my number ten. Aaron Ramsey is. More, oh, okay, you like got him it. there. Okay, yeah, it's like it's more like Adams is six, Joe Allen is eight, and Ramsey's ten. Okay, yeah, all right. That that works. But I guess because my question is if you could put Pulisic central and then have Danny James as your other winger, yeah. would that make your team better or worse? I mean, really, this is Wilson versus James for right yeah. winger, right? And I just – I think Wilson has a better delivery and James is more about pace. Gotcha. I've, I've got Danny James coming off the bench. Okay. Cause, I mean, I'm impressed with him in moments, but mm-hmm. I'm sort of frustrated with him in moments as well. Yeah. Not a bad footballer, but I think Harry Wilson's better. Okay. All yeah. right. Interesting. And then, yeah, I agree with you with the number nine, Gareth Bale, I think. Also because – I did still go with the sort of maybe it's Giggs as the figurehead, but Burhalter is the is the tactical manager, and I think if you <laughs> then go with what he wants, so Giggs is Klinsman and Burhalter is Jogi. Yeah, that's what I was saying before. Yeah, I think that works uh, perfectly for what I'm going for, and I think then if you look at Gareth Bale and how he can be physical and do the hold up play that you need, he is way bigger than I think some people necessarily remember because we yeah. don't see him that often. But I think is also quite fast. But then is smart, can do the movement, can drop in, can create space. I think he could do a lot of what Burhalter wants. In my system, at least, I see it as Gareth Bale completely has free reign to go wherever he wants to go mm-hmm. right Gareth Bale just go he's like far and away yeah. the most famous and best player on this team mm-hmm. so just go and do what you need to do Gareth Bale there that, we go. Yeah, that's how I've got it and then also coming off the bench Rabi Matundo have you seen him for Schalke Mm-mm. young Welsh guy uh, for Schalke um, and Josie Altador just as a backup to uh, to Gareth Bale but I don't I don't trust his hammies yeah nor do I that's why I, <laughs> I'm not sure I would have him in there but I'm glad that you do uh, so there we go we've got our combined USA Wales 11 we'll see how many of those players end up going against each other when those two teams play each other alright uh, but until then we've got another question yep. uh, Raghav Gupta who are some players from the Premier League relegation threatened teams that may get a transfer or could get a transfer or maybe should get a transfer so I've chosen one each from Aston Villa Norwich City Bournemouth and Watford. I've done the same. Okay. Who have you got from Aston Villa? I mean, do you, do you, we're going to have the same players. It's Jack Grealish, It obviously. is Jack Grealish, yeah. yeah. Um, I also had his honorable mentions. Uh, Villa have a lot, yeah. which maybe means they should be Let's get into better. Grealish first. Why, sure. why Grealish? I mean, because, number one, he's moving no matter what. Yep. I think uh, He's been rumored to move since 2015. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he went, he's a Villa fan, so he went down with them, mm-hmm. came back up. He's, he's done his time at Aston, at Aston Villa. Yeah. I did not enjoy, uh, I'm going to make it briefly political for a moment, I did not enjoy the way the, uh, the primaries went uh, this week, but BR Football Ranks made me happy. It was the first podcast that made me happy this week uh, because they made a compelling argument for why Jack Grealish and Jaden Sancho could go to Man United this summer. Interesting. And for purposes of this conversation, the points they made about Jack Grealish definitely apply, that he sort of ticks a lot of boxes for what United want, and I think United do the same for him. Uh, and, and I feel like that is a, the type M- of player... Mutual box ticking. It, it really is. And, and I think he just is the type of player who... I mean, regardless of if, if Villa stay up, I think he's going to move. But if they go down, I think he'll definitely get a yeah. move to really any number of clubs. Uh, what I really like about him is he can play wide or he mm-hmm. can play central. Right. I, like uh, My friend Hugh, who's a Villa fan, was always telling me he can just play centre midfield. Yep. And I was like, that? No, he, no, he can't. And I kept watching him and, and Hugh was right. Jack Grigge can absolutely play centre midfield or can play as a, a dribbly wide winger. It's what he did against Man City in the Carabao Cup final. There we go. And speaking of the Carabao Cup final, his sort of... He's basically in tears, right, mm-hmm. at the end of that game. To me, was the biggest evidence that he's leaving yep. because I think that was this was my last chance to win something with Aston Villa because mm-hmm. I'm definitely leaving in the summer. That's what those tears were about. You will get no arguments yeah. from me. So you said there were some other Villa players that you thought you could make an argument for. Yeah, I think Tyrone Mings can definitely get a shout. I yes. think uh, he has been a very good, strong center back for them. A lot mm-hmm. of this is probably informed by... Tyrone Ping, I call him. He's a pass as well. <laughs> um, a lot of this is informed by bits and pieces I've seen of them lately. Uh, same for uh, Watford as well uh, in their win over Liverpool. That yeah. definitely factors into my estimations. But Tyrone Mings, Tom Heaton, and Douglas Luiz, 21-year-old 
uh, Brazilian. Yeah, who yeah, I think, from Man City. Yeah, he he I enjoyed as well. So maybe he just goes back to Man City, but maybe he also gets a, a more permanent move somewhere else. I could see another team being swayed by the all-action midfield displays of John McGinn as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is all over. The it's place. almost like Villa should be higher up the table. It is a little bit like that. Isn't mm-hmm. it? All right, let's move on to Norwich. Sure. Um, I wrote Todd Cantwell. In you big are letters. correct. Yeah, <laughs> that is the only answer. Yes, he's even. I think he's already kind of linked mm-hmm. with Liverpool. I haven't seen any direct quotes from Jurgen Klopp. I've just seen a lot of newspaper. Yeah. Rumours, but enough that it makes me think someone who knows someone at Liverpool um, has been told we're looking at Todd Cantwell. And, and I meant to look this up before we recorded. I believe he either has signed or will sign a new deal uh, very recently. But a lot of times that can not necessarily be a like, oh, he's there for five years, but more of a the club are aware he's going to move yeah. and they want to increase the value of that eventual transfer. Or even like fee. put in a release clause that's higher than they would exactly. have to lose him for right exactly. now. Exactly. But right? yeah, Todd Cantwell would make... I would say any of most of the top six teams in the Premier League instantly better. Super clean Mm -hmm. technique, really good on the dribble, really good in tight spaces, and some of the cleverest passes you will see in the Premier League. I think he's the king of Premier League backheels. Yep. (laughs) He's the king of many things, especially in Norwich. (laughs) Here's here's what I wrote in my notes. Ronaldinho with better defending. He even kind of... I'm not saying he's as good as Ronaldinho. A better checking account, too. He probably, I would, manages, I would assume. probably manages his money better. Um, but he has the... Because, I think because of the hair. He's got similar sort of longish hair that he pulls back. Mm-hmm. And his height is similar and his sort of dribbling style is somewhat similar to Ronaldinho. I'm, I can see I would die mean. on this hill. Except, yeah, except I would then go with you on the... But has the... I think I make this analogy a lot, but uh, Mickey from the Guy Rich movie Snatch, yeah. uh, the Brad Pitt character, he's got that sort of like harder than a coffin nail look yeah, to him where it's yeah, like yeah. he's very slight of frame but I imagine in person is actually not that slight of frame uh-huh. and is instead very very hard and difficult to knock around and the reason I think he would fit at Liverpool mm-hmm. is I see him work back after he loses the ball and just in terms of generally applying pressure defensively mm-hmm. Todd Cantwell can do it 22 years old it's a good age to go to Liverpool right yep. experienced enough pro but mm-hmm. still um, on the up and up I could see him filling in for Mane or Salah on yep. either of the wings for Liverpool so that, yeah Todd Cantwell will not be at Norwich next year if they go down new no. and then um, if they do go down maybe Timu uh, Pookie will not either. That's one where he's 29 years old, but I could see him being a target man for like a newly promoted. That feels like the Aaron Moy sort of, oh, my team's Maybe. been relegated. I'll jump to a team that just came up. I'm not convinced that you can play more than one way with uh, Timo Pukki. I remember them talking about how they mm-hmm. constantly like just put it in uh, put it in front of him, keep putting it in front of him, keep putting it in front of him. I'm mm-hmm. not sure he's like a target man in that he'll like relieve pressure. You can't play long to him, him and he'll hold it. I am, I'm doubting him. You're doubting him? him? Yep. How dare you? How dare you? I uh, which of the Bournemouth players that you've already talked about did you have as getting a transfer? Actually, none of them. I think Nathan Ake okay. is the yeah. the standout guy mm-hmm. who most people were surprised that he didn't go to Chelsea this past January because mm-hmm. I think they had a buyback clause that expired in January. They could have had him for 30-something million. This is me nodding. But I really like Nathan Ake, like mm-hmm. good all-round defender, good bringing the ball out of the back, um, really like head on a swivel kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nathan Ake, I think, goes somewhere else yep. if Bournemouth go down. I would agree with that. I would agree that Callum Wilson uh, is probably going to get a move as so well I, if they go down. I feel like I don't. I feel like I should know more about Callum Wilson. Mm-hmm. I couldn't describe to you Callum Wilson's game. I think maybe I haven't seen enough of him. Even yeah. playing for England, I'm still confused by what it is that makes Callum Wilson so good. Yeah. But I also don't know enough to argue that he's not an impressive mm-hmm. player. Like, have you seen stuff from Wilson that impresses you? Not, I mean, not like any more than probably you have, to be honest. Okay. I think it's just that, similar to, I have Josh King on that list, and a yeah. big reason is because of the very strong interest in him from Manchester United this past season. Yeah. And I feel like for Callum Wilson, that's a player who is always about to move Bournemouth every Every single window, yeah. and it feels like 
brings a lot of the familiar components to the table that teams want when they're looking for a sort of second choice. Number nine is what I feel like he would be for a lot of teams. I couldn't name his attributes, and I don't. I think I just have. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I think I think he is a capable goal scorer who doesn't have those like incredible runs of form that are then augmented by the incredible like oh he had fifteen shots and none of them were on frame. Like I think he is a fairly consistent goal scorer that I think teams would enjoy. But then there's the physicality aspect. He can certainly handle being, I guess, more of a target, maybe more so than Timu Puki. At okay. least. And then I just again I think a big part of it is how he is consistently in conversations both for transfers and for England as the well they don't have Harry Kane they might not have Marcus Rashford. Jamie Vardy's retired. It could be Callum Wilson. That is a player that... But I think even when we had this conversation, is he one that you forgot or is it Danny Ings that you didn't mention? It was Danny Ings that I forgot mm-hmm. and then agreed that it might, he yeah. might be the, the best choice. But okay. yeah, again, Callum Wilson, I, I want to see more of him because I want to... I feel like it's a hole in my mm-hmm. knowledge that I don't know enough about yeah. Callum Wilson's I attributes. Mean, I think he is, he is the sort of player who... Like, it sounds bad, but it's kind of the truth. Is like he is the fourth choice, fifth choice, sixth choice striker for England, but he's still in that conversation. He's with Bournemouth, who are having a bad season, so they're not really appointment TV. It's not like, ooh, Bournemouth are doing something really interesting, and now they're yeah. seventh. I want to make sure I watch them when they play Liverpool or Man City or what have you. So there's really like not a reason for them to be appointment TV. So he tends to be one of those players that you don't see very often and is sort of there in your mind, but not really with a clear picture of what he might be. Someone who knows better, tweet at me. Okay. What, uh, what's Callum Wilson? all about um, and then for Watford uh-huh. I think obviously recency bias yep. but Ismail Asar yep. is back from injury mm-hmm. and I think will catch someone's attention he's and got a nice yep. mix of directness and decisiveness which yes. I think was on display um, in a couple of counter-attacks against mm-hmm. Liverpool this past I'm weekend I'm going to say like discount Jadon Sancho like whoever Woo-hoo. doesn't get Jadon Sancho should maybe go after Ismail Asar that's interesting yeah because yeah. I, I think he and it's similar I think can be a like forward if you need him to be uh, there were moments in that game against Liverpool where uh, he would go up and be the kind of target striker or like the striker leading the line not the target striker and Troy Deeney would go play out on the wing and they would kind of link up that way so he can do that he can lead the line he can be your running in behind goal scorer but he can also be your winger who stretches and stays wide and causes problems and dribbles yeah. with people. I'm with you on Ismail Asar. And I have one more from uh, from Watford, but I re- realize that I've kind of hijacked your Ismail Asar points. No, that, that, that's pretty much it. Right? Yeah. Uh, then I had Will Hughes as well, another one Ooh, who yeah. uh, really impressed me. Uh, 24 years old. I, I, I had sharp, hard, and smart. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I've got. <laughs> and that's just his hair. Yes, exactly. But, <laughs> but in terms of like, like – Improvisation, thinking on the fly. He's the one who has like the back heel to Tyrone Mings, or no, excuse me, to Troy Deeney, that Troy Deeney then plays down the line for the second goal for yeah. Watford against Liverpool. But then. Turns like, out you can counter attack Liverpool, by the way. Sure Do you remember can. we had this question mm-hmm. a while back and we sort of went through why yeah. teams hadn't been able to counter attack Liverpool? It's because they didn't have Ismail Assar. Yeah, and they didn't have two centre backs for Liverpool standing with their hands in the air yeah. as the ball was played through. That, <laughs> that helps too. But then I th- felt like he did a good job of marshalling the midfield, keeping them all like tight and organized Huge. and yeah. sitting back in. Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I I think that he could, again, do that sort of job if and when uh, Watford go down. So there we go, Rag. I've got to tell you, we have answered mm-hmm. your question with a long, long, long transfer yes, list. I think so. <laughs> um, uh, next up, James Porter. Mm. James Porter wants to know, what factors do you use to determine what player on a team is the team's, quote, mm-hmm. best player, unquote, and who is the U.S. women's national team's best player? Yeah. So James had this recent discussion with his daughter about who the U.S. women's national team's best player is. Um, and James's daughter ended up saying, why don't you ask the Total Soccer Show guys? They have smart answers on things. So no pressure. Taylor. <laughs> um, worth noting, uh, James uh, says it was Julie Ertz. And mm-hmm. James's daughter says it's Alex Morgan. Yep. And I think I disagree with both. Um, okay. The way I think uh, – I'm going to try to answer this question before I get too into like the nuances and weeds of it. And basically just say that for me, best player – tends to be maybe more of the most important player. And I think that is the player that is least easy to replace. That I think basically 
if you have few or no one else, few players or no one else on the team who can do that job, then they're by definition the most important player because yeah. you're kind of basing it all around them. And I would say that that's Rose Lavelle for the U.S. Women's National Interesting. Team. So what does Rose Lavelle do that can't be replaced? I think a lot of it is her vision, both on the ball and when passing, that uh, when you're going against a team that is very compact and very defensive, I feel like she is the one who can get, go on a dribble and get through. Dribble and, in the middle. Yeah, you know, or just like go on a dribble to pull people out to then open up space for other players, but then has the passing vision as well to play through balls into tight areas that can get between lines, that can get between defenders and find opportunities. And then, you know, she can shoot as well. <laughs> I've Actually, I've gone with a similar argument. Mm-hmm. I think a team's best player um, is when the rest of the team is built around certain attributes that mm-hmm. this player has that can't be replaced. Yeah. And you're willing to almost make sacrifices in other areas Agreed. and c- construct the team in such a way as to maximize this player's abilities. Mm-hmm. And I would argue for, for the U.S. Women's National Team, that is still Megan Rapinoe. Okay. Because no one else can deliver a pass or a through ball yep. or a cross like Megan Rapino. We see this constantly, right? With no, the that's US, a really good argument. It's crossing mm-hmm. balls into the box, but they're falling short or they're going long. And then Rapino comes off the bench or comes in next game and delivers perfect balls in. Yeah. And I, I think that goes double on set pieces. Mm-hmm. Megan Rapino corner kicks were the most deadly thing the US had at the World Cup. Those corner yeah. kicks to the near post absolutely deadly so I would argue it's Megan Rapinoe I would I think that's a really strong argument and it reminds me I heard Kyle Martino making a point about why Liverpool like tend to keep getting these results against teams and his argument was similar to Michael Jordan that if you're suddenly going against Michael Jordan you're like oh man like I don't want to make any mistakes oh no he's so good he's so good that you stop playing your game and you panic a little bit I think think, he's wrong because Jordan doesn't even play soccer I know right it's weird Uh, but (laughs) I think Liverpool have that as well and I think Megan Rapinoe does to some extent as well that when she subs on or suddenly she's there I think, yes, her delivery is way better, but I also think there's more of an emphasis on, like, oh, it's Megan Rapinoe, we got to send four defenders after her. Yeah. And that, like, by definition, opens up space for other players. So even when she is marked out of a game, if it's because she's so good that teams have, like, so adjusted, sometimes over-adjusted, that it almost creates opportunities in that way. Uh, I would argue that part of the Krista Dunn at left-back thing, mm-hmm. when Gilelis decided this is what we're going to do, yeah. I think it's somewhat related to Megan Rapinoe. Because the thing Rapinoe lacks, for example, is pace running mm-hmm. at people but you add a really attacking left back a really dynamic left back to that and a left back who can get back and cover ground when mm-hmm. needed I sort of think that it's all related to like a Dunn Rapino combo mm-hmm. down the left and it, but it was worth making those weird choices one to get Crystal Dunn in the team mm-hmm. uh, but two to maximise what's going on down that left side with Megan Rapino. Mm-hmm. yeah alright so a few questions down a few more to go then a game to watch then a game to review but right now Daryl we've got to talk about today's sponsor Policy Genius we have a busy and uncertain future uh-huh. here on the show Just like in life, unpredictability Uh is what keeps life interesting. The trick is to enjoy the ride without worrying about what's around the corner. One way to worry less about who your best player is Mm -hmm. and about life in general is to get the right life insurance. (laughs) To worry about your best player? Yeah, that's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius will instantly tell you what your best player is. Oh, that's good to know. All right. I didn't realize that That, was a service. That part's not true. Okay. (laughs) But uh, they do make finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape for free. Mm -hmm. They are all the best players, the Policy Genius team. Uh, and they don't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home, auto insurance, and disability insurance as well if that applies. So if you want to be prepared for anything with your life insurance, in just a few minutes you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. 
policygenius.com. That's policygenius.com to find your best price and apply. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very much to Matthew Graham for asking us the next question. Uh, I'm always confused when someone reads a soccer record out. Is it wins, draws, losses, or wins, losses, draws? It seems like sometimes it's one way and sometimes it's the other. Is this something that has regional differences? Uh, my guess on this one is that it has uh, international differences. Yeah, actually, so I've done some research mm-hmm. on this. And I kind of texted you and said, don't research this. I want to hear your guess, mm-hmm. and I think I've got the answer. So, yeah, yeah I want to hear Taylor's guess. Essentially, um, why do we, why do uh, people say wins, draws, mm-hmm. losses, or wins, losses, draws? My assumption is that it's basically a thing that we do in North America, and I'm going to assume it comes from other sports because I know Major League Soccer lists it differently than, say, the Premier League. Yes, I'm guessing Major League Soccer gets that from other professional organizations. And maybe there's an explanation for it, but I would almost equate it with like the way we do dates, that you all do it. Do you do day month? Is that what it is? You do like 12 Yeah, May, by you all, you mean the rest of the world. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I would even go as far as saying the rest of the world mm-hmm. doesn't say they have a 3-0-1 record. Mm-hmm. They don't do wins, losses, right. draws, or wins, draws, mm-hmm. losses. They do points. They do points. Yeah, like you would say right now, Wolves have 42 points, mm-hmm. right? And if they were to list out the sort of record, because it's not common to just like say the numbers in order like you do here, like the mm-hmm. Patriots are 15-1 and one, or mm-hmm. when they used to be good, whatever, <laughs> whatever it used to be um, – it, it would be more like um, Wolves have won 10, drawn 12, lost 6, right? Mm-hmm. You would have to spell it out because it's just not that common. It's not in the, it's not in the vocabulary of sports fans to, to talk that way about football teams. Mm-hmm. At least in England, I'm going to assume around the rest of Europe. So it is basically, though, just that the United States does it one way and everybody yeah. else does it another? And my, my understanding is because, because of football, basketball, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. sports where draws are either impossible or very uncommon – that most records, there's not even points totals, right? There's just like 15 and 1 or they're 10 and 2 or they, it's just wins, loss, wins, loss, wins, mm-hmm. losses. And so Major League Soccer has adopted that and just added draws on the end. Which I think personally I do not like. I no. know wins, draws, losses. I think that makes a lot more sense and is more like natural in terms of like best result, okay result, worst result. Yeah, because it's in order. Yeah, not in order best, of, worst, okay. In order yeah. of preference exactly. basically, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I kind of wish MLS would just go with points total. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they're trying to move that way, but yeah. I think you still have to incorporate the American mentality, which is based on, like, they've won this many games. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, yeah. I guess progress is slow as well. Do you remember it used to be oh, listed— Oh, you're just considering a progress. But it used to be listed sort of D.C. Mm-hmm. at New York. Do you remember yeah. that? It used oh. to be listed the other way around in terms of the fixtures. I think it still is on ESPN. Is that, it th- really? that threw me off. I think they had Inter-Miami listed first this past weekend, and I was not loving it. And then the email symbol, and then who they were playing. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're, I think we're slowly going to move mm-hmm. to a point system. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> next question, Mr. Yeah. Grove. Do you want me to ask it since I think this is the one that I did the more research on? You uh, can give us a guess. Yeah, go on. Then. All right. Uh, Joe Tobiasen, does a ref have to wait until a player stands up before they can issue them a card? So my guess, based on zero research, is they don't have to, but they choose to for the sake of clarity. Um, yes, I would almost say it the other way around, but yes. They do have to. be correct. I think, yes, it is basically in the rule book that you are, are – here are like the – Oh, you have the spelling. Okay. I do because the FIFA laws of the game don't really clarify. And it's really hard to find because anytime you search like when, when does a player get a yellow card or like when do you issue the yellow card, it's always like for this infraction and this infraction, yeah, not yeah. literally when is it given. So looking at the U.S. Soccer uh, Guide to Procedures for Referees, Assistant Referees, and Fourth Officials. And just so people don't know, this mm-hmm. is like – there's the FIFA laws and then each uh, association 
Association Federation gives yeah. out like here's how you apply these laws. Right. Yeah. And I think there's like a very long one that includes you have to identify, begin moving toward the offending player so as to like limit any sort of uh, retaliation. You have to uh, stop at a reasonable distance away from the offending player, then make them come to you. Then you clearly communicate you're being cautioned. All of those protocols in place. But I think the key one is basically later on it, it, it says that the uh, official must deal with the incident as needed. And I think what that means is if you've got to run in there and give a yellow card to stop things from happening, yeah. you're going to do that as fast as you can. You're not going to slow it down and wait for someone to come over to you. And I think that extends to, I've seen this before, if two players get injured in a challenge and one of them was going in recklessly, even if that player is down with a broken leg, you will still see the referee give the yellow card. It's just in that moment that player is down and injured. It's less important to be like, hey, in your face, here's the yellow card, and now I'm writing you in the book. It's more like, okay, you're being subbed off, but you're still getting a yellow card because officially it was a bad challenge. So I guess to clarify the answer to Joe's question, yeah. it, there's nothing that um, says the referee cannot give right. a card to a player mm-hmm. if they're on the floor. It's yes. just preferable to mm-hmm. beckon them over, yeah. have them standing up, and make yeah. it nice and simple. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, because usually... But needs must. Yeah, because you're giving a, a yellow card. Usually it's for kicking the ball away or delaying the restart or it is a bad foul but regardless it usually requires or usually leads to hey I'm doing this to calm things down yes you're getting a yellow card but I'm calling you over so you get a breather we can discuss why you're getting this yellow card yeah. but there are then incidents when it's just got to be really quick if it was the law mm-hmm. that the player had to be standing up mm-hmm. you could infinitely avoid a yellow card by just lying down and <laughs> refusing to get up there was some glitch in a <laughs> FIFA game once where you could just keep running after you were definitely going to get a red card you and mean if, FIFA 94 is that what it was when yeah. the play, play wouldn't stop yeah Exactly. <laughs> I think it was one of the earliest versions where it yeah. might not even have had the, num- mm-hmm. the year after it. It was just FIFA. Yeah. It was just one of the original ones. Oh, yeah. Good times. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. And I equate it with like, I didn't acknowledge that the law was in place so I can like run a red light because I'm not obeying the law. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to run a red light. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't know, you're still getting the yellow card. Eventually, mm-hmm. no matter what, right? Yep. Um, okay. Tanner Hillman. Mm-hmm. Tanner Hillman wants to know, do you consider... Players who went on loan but were always under contract with the mother club to still be one club players. Mm-hmm. And the example that Tanner gives is Philip Lahm, through his entire career, was only contracted to Bayern Munich, but he played with Stuttgart for two seasons on loan early in his career. Mm-hmm. And now he's retired, right? And he's never going to play for another team again. Yep. Uh, my answer would be me personally, no, but me on the show, yes. I consider them to be one club players. Why are those two different people? Because I would say Philip Lahm is a one club player, even though if it was like you would, like if we were doing an actual list of one club players, I would be like, oh no, he went on loan, he played for another club. So you would not include him on the list? No, I don't think I would, but at the same time, if you asked me to list one club players, I'd be like, yeah, him. Yeah, he went on loan. It doesn't matter. He wasn't yeah. really there. But I think really what it comes down to is if they went on loan when they were really, really young and it was sort of a like developmental thing where mm-hmm. they were always going to be staying with that team I probably am more inclined to I think if that makes any sense yeah Um, I'm even more liberal than you okay I would still include players like um, Steven Gerrard Mm -hmm. who spent his entire really 17 years with Liverpool but then went and played what a season and a half for the LA Galaxy because I I see that as non-threatening to Liverpool completely unrelated it's not like he went and played for another Premier League team mm-hmm. so I kind of think it's okay to to do that and I still think of Steven Gerrard as a the equivalent of a one club man even if he doesn't fit the literal definition I'm very surprised by this I have to say what's up because you were usually a stickler and my I anticipated your answer yeah. being like did they play for more than one club then they're not a one club player I mean yeah so I think actually I would take issue with the phrase one club man mm-hmm. because it used to mean a different thing as, as in it used to be possible to stay with one team mm-hmm. your whole career now you sort of have to go out usually have to go out on loan somewhere um, to, to get the experience so is Daniela De Rossi a one club man 
He went. Did he play for anyone? Boca, I believe, right? But he played for Boca at the end of his career. Yeah. Um, he spent his entire career with Roma uh-huh. in Serie A, even if maybe he went on loan early in his career. So, literally, no. But in my heart and mm-hmm. in his heart, yes. Okay. And what I would propose is changing what we changing the word that we use. I would call them like faithful players or okay. monogamous players. How about monogamous players? You can do that. I, yeah. I would not agree with you. To you wouldn't honest. agree with me. No, I would say that if you make a decision to leave your team to go play for somebody else, then that's totally fine. I don't think it hurts Liverpool or hurts Roma, but what you if, are continuing. You're deciding to leave that team. Okay, to debate this, what if the club has decided mm-hmm. we no longer need you? Like uh, John Terry is a good example, right? Mm-hmm. Towards, I think, so it was 2017. Um, I can't remember who the coach was. I want to say it was Conte. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, Oh, we don't need you so much. But Terry wanted to keep playing. So he went down a division and played a year for Villa. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his choice to leave. It was Chelsea's choice to be like, we don't, we don't need you so much anymore. Yeah, which I think is representative of the club, in which case, do you want to be a one-club player if that club isn't treating you very well? Like, I'm not saying it's an ideal thing that you stay with that like, one team for forever. You're saying you have to go to the bitter end, and yeah. then if they eject you, you sort of, you can't go anywhere else. Um, we, I mean, no, it's not even like that. What I'm saying is, like, if they do that, then it kind of defeats the purpose of being a one-club man, in my mind. A one-club yeah. man is like a player who, like, no, I love this team. That's where I want to be. I'm going to move into management someday. I want to. I want to be there for this team. If they're not reciprocating that, then it's sort of is like, well, then why would you want to be that? Like it almost is a more harmonious relationship so in my mind. The relationship has to be um, both sides all in to the very end. I basically. think so. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. To death do you part. To death do you part. Uh-huh. Yep. Francesco Totti tried. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I believe. And I think he's now still there as their sporting director. Uh, but yeah, in general, I I mm-hmm. I don't like the term one club man because it makes it really easy to just be literal about it yeah. and I wish there was a bit more flexibility and then a way we could celebrate yeah. players that spent a lot of time with one team yeah. and that's why I would go with like faithful as opposed mm-hmm. to, to one club so uh, yeah. like okay you um, you and I are faithful to our wives mm-hmm. we had girlfriends before um, if for some reason my wife left me I would hope that eventually I would find someone else <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You were making this real. Do you know what I'm saying? But in this long middle period, like especially Uh at the start, um, before I'd met my wife, um, she could have theoretically argued that, yeah, we'll we'll be married eventually. But before I meet you, you need to go and get some experience somewhere Uh else. (laughs) Sure. I, I, I honestly think, though, play for Stuttgart. extending the the marriage analogy for a moment, <laughs> like I don't even think being a one club man or one club player is even the ideal anymore. Because yeah, I think th- there's a difference between when it used to be like you collected your pension from that team or what have you yes. versus now when it's much more of commercial commodity. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if it's in your best interest to treat that relationship as like we're married, right? And the team is like, I mean, we are till I find somebody better and then <laughs> out you go. Like, like yeah. <laughs> You, but, you're you're effectively a one club trophy wife at that point, but, I guess, or trophy <laughs> husband, depending on the situation. Okay, I've got I've got a really mm-hmm. good one for you. What do you think about Matt Letizia? I don't think about Matt Letizia. <laughs> okay, let me give you the Matt Letizia situation, right? Sure. It's, I think it's the most extreme test of the literal yeah. interpretation of mm-hmm. one club man, right? So Matt Letizia played 500 games or more for Southampton. Mm-hmm. I think he signed with them in like 1986. Something like that. He left them in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, he scored the last goal at the Dell, the stadium, before mm-hmm. it was closed down. And then he played, I think, a season at St. Mary's. And then he left. Didn't play for it. Like, he resisted moves to Chelsea. Like, when he was, like, big time, everyone wanted Matt Letizia. He said, no, I'm staying with Southampton. I love Southampton. After he left Southampton, he went and played two seasons with a tiny non-league team mm-hmm. called Eastleigh, where he played like 15 games over two years, but he still played two seasons with Eastleigh. And then he made one appearance in 2013 mm-hmm. at the age of 40-something for Guernsey Town, yeah. which is a tiny, tiny team. So yeah. is Matt Letizia still a one-club man, or does that, that those little extras with very, very small teams 
still can't. Because I, I think if this is the ultimate test of how literal and pure the one club man Why did he move to, to the small teams again? I think just he wanted to play some football. Okay. Yeah. I mean, then no. Like, no. He's he, not a one he club moved man. To, he moved to other teams to, to play for whatever reason. If it was like, I want, like, Garincha had those weird ones where it was like, yeah. he played one game here. Like, that's more of an experimental exhibition sort of thing uh-huh. in my mind. That's that. So the Guernsey one with Letitia was definitely an experimental yeah. one appearance, yeah. like celebrity appearance. Yeah, right? that, that um, I think is But Eastley, he went and deal. played two seasons, basically. See, there we go. Yeah. So no, he went and played <laughs> two seasons somewhere else, by definition. Harsh. So I, then I would argue, and I wasn't leading towards this, but this is what I've now decided, mm-hmm. that if Matt Letitia can't be called a one-club man, mm-hmm. which he can't by literal definition, then the standard is too high. Yeah. And we That's probably fair. need to change it. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's as realistic. I also don't think it's yeah. realistic to have a manager for 26 straight seasons. <laughs> Doesn't mean I don't hope that still happens. Just means that I recognize that it is less likely to occur. <laughs> Speaking of that, that actually blends very well into our next question. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Christopher uh, Deenan, are the top Premier League clubs getting worse or are the lower tier clubs getting better? Classic Total Soccer mm-hmm. answer. Things can be two things. Sure can. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a false dichotomy. But I think... Both things are kind of happening? Yes, yeah? I think so. Both things are happening. Yeah, I, I think I think they definitely are. I think also this season, we always kind of have this question. It's interesting to me how you can go back and look at the last like 10 years, and I feel like somewhere you will find an article saying, this is the worst Premier League season mm-hmm. ever because this and this and this and this, and there wasn't a four-team title race. Yep. I, I don't remember the last time there were three teams involved in a title race. It's been some time. I would argue mm-hmm. that a couple things are happening here. The first is there are four Champions League spots available. Yep. There are six teams that want those Champions League yep. spots. So there are always two teams who appear to be having bad seasons. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think this all started when almost simultaneously Man City got really rich and really good. Yep. And Tottenham got a really good manager and got it together. Mm-hmm. So the, the classic top four of Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea yep. was broken up by Spurs and Man City getting in there, making it a six teams going for four spots. I remember World Soccer Daily having the conversation about, will there ever be more teams than just the big four? Like, right? that is how recent that it is. It seemed impossible, yeah. right? And then at the same time, you get teams like, um, I think Wolves have done it, I think Leicester have done it, Watford were doing it until this year, where teams basically have very good long-term strategic mm-hmm. planning, spend wisely, and get really, really yep. competitive. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think there are teams... I'm going to go on a long explanation because I've realized there's lots of thinking behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are teams coming up from lower divisions like Sheffield United with really smart tactical yep. takes. Mm-hmm. And here's the biggest reason, I think. It's the biggest thing. The era of the Sam Allardyce, um, Alan... Uh, sorry, uh, Tony Poulis, Alan Pardew, mm-hmm. David Moyes, yep. Mark Hughes carousel of those coaches always being at the bottom end teams so, on, a constant, sorry, <laughs> on a constant rotation on a constant rotation yeah. that era is over and now you've got guys like Sean Dyche who has a clear tactical plan Eddie Howe who has an idea of how mm-hmm. he wants to play Hazen Hootall coming over I think teams just are not relying on just those old names anymore aside from West Ham aside from West Ham but yeah. That's just one, right? It right. used to be those guys were all employed and they would all keep finding work around the bottom end of the table. Yeah, I just genuinely feel bad that we're like, all these other teams are doing these interesting things. And then there's West Ham with David Moyes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I take your point. And I think with some of those teams that had that managerial carousel, the reason why I said this connected to our last question is because looking at the teams with the longest tenured manager, I do think that factors into some of this as well. That you're looking at, it's Eddie Howe and Sean Deitch are uh, one and two. Uh, they both have been with their teams for seven years. I would argue that Bournemouth and Burn despite not having the best of seasons this time, have done a very good job of staying up. After that, it's Jurgen Klopp, Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, Pep Guardiola are your five wow. most longest tenured. Pep has he been that long already? No. Uh, Pep Guardiola hasn't even been there for four years. <laughs> uh, but that shows you how much turnover there's been, and I think that is part of it, that stability 
combined with a long-term plan, as you said, combined with a manager who's been there, I think gets you farther up the table. And a lot of the, the quote-unquote bigger teams like Arsenal, like Man United, like Chelsea, have had a lot of managerial turnover, have had yeah. a lot of things not going well. The end well. of the Ferguson era was a yeah. big thing. And so yeah. I think that also partially explains it, that you used to have like Wenger's there, Ferguson's there. Uh, I mean, I guess you could go with Jose Mourinho. Like those three team managers at their teams, suddenly those teams are probably better than they are right now. But as a result, maybe they're closer to the middle. Wolves, Sheffield doing the things that they've done have elevated their games. And so I think it's much more blended than it used to be. And then there's the other thing of just the uh, trickle-down economics of the Premier League. There's just a fortune in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. So almost any Premier League team can really afford to bring in really high-quality players because they can afford to pay really big wages. If you get the right mix then with a good coach and all that and a good setup, you can put a really competitive team together. And I think teams are also learning to defend and counter-attack against the Guardiola teams Mm -hmm. and as Watford showed finally last weekend against Liverpool right teams are learning to play against the the sort of um, uh, dominant Klopp Guardiola type teams I mean but even go back to the very first question I think it was the very first question or a second of like players who could get a move if they get relegated yeah all of those teams have very good I mean two of those teams have players that I think could start for Liverpool or Man City right now yeah and so like I think Grealish could go and start for one of those I think uh, Cantwell could as well like right there two teams that could get relegated have two incredibly good players that was not always the case it was much more like which newly promoted team is going to sign the best player from the team that just yeah. got relegated that's te- that tended to be how it worked I guess in the old days Grealish would have left when Villa got relegated mm-hmm. in 2015 because Villa wouldn't have been able to afford to pay him such mm-hmm. good wages even with his loyalty yeah. um, like parachute payments and all that meant that Villa could afford to keep paying Jack Grealish good money yeah, yeah. I agree I agree oh okay final uh, not final question uh, yeah I think it's final final right. question comes from no it's not I lied penultimate <laughs> question <laughs> Uh, no, it is the final, my bad. Let's just go from there. Comes from Richard Rolson. Mm. Richard Rolson wants to know, has this offseason in Major League Soccer seen the greatest uptick of talent joining the league? It definitely seems like more teams are trying to make splashes and spending more money to bringing new talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we are not allocation disorder, we are not MLS assist, we are not extra time, but I would still say with that uh, caveat in place, I think yes. I'm going to say yes. I, I had a hard time with this. Okay, It's kind of yes in terms of... Um, breadth and mm-hmm. depth but not in terms of high-end talent that's the thing it's basically right? chicharito is like the name that's yes coming, right if it wasn't for chicharito i'd say no i think i agree yeah Beca- because even in seasons past when it hasn't been as many and there are a lot of very talented players who are going to be playing this year that were mm-hmm. not last season but that said you don't you need like a couple of those big names now yep. i think if you combine this window with the summer window when i do think you'll get some players moving oh, yeah, from europe yet, right? and you'll strengthen then that probably is what will solidify it but right now i would give the edge to this one just because you do have a lot of players who I think will have big impacts. So here's the the big list this year. Yep. It's mostly Liga MX players, which I think is the really <laughs> interesting thing because it's um, it's MLS maybe flexing some financial muscle mm-hmm. at the top end of paying for Liga MX players. Yes. So Alan Polito in from Chivas, mm-hmm. Edinson Flores from Morelia, Lucas Celerayan from Tigres, Osvaldo Alanis from Chivas, Lucas Cavallini from Puebla, Rodolfo Pizarro from Monterrey, and then... Chicharito from Sevilla, who mm-hmm. I would argue somewhat falls under the same category because if, as Chicharito says, the European dream is over, mm-hmm. the usual thing would have been that he would go back and play in Liga MX. Yep. But I think MLS stepped in and went, here's all this money, mm-hmm. come play in Major League Soccer. Yep. So I think it's the biggest financial flex in terms of showing Liga MX that we can afford to pay some of your best players yeah. to come here. But listen to these lineups mm-hmm. of, uh, of talent influx. 2015, into Major League Soccer, you got David Villa... Andrea Perlo, mm-hmm. Steven Gerrard, 
and Frank Lampard. Right. So the last three of those players were kind of on a downhill. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of big name players coming in, right. all those four are bigger. Apart from Chicharito, they're bigger from the, the rest of the players I just named, right? 2017, Almiron, Martinez, Schweinsteiger, Albert Elise, Jonathan Dos Santos. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. 2018, Wayne Rooney, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, yeah. Carlos Vela, Ezekiel Barco, Diego Rossi, and then so Rui Diaz, I would maybe count in there as well. Yeah, I think that, uh, that that's the only one of the ones that you've listed so far that really has me thinking. Like, 2018. Yeah, that, that's better, yeah. Because the other ones you mentioned, like, yeah, like Steven Gerrard came and it was it was exciting and then it did not go well, yeah. in my opinion. And we, so then it's I would like, argue eh. it's only David Villa from that 2015 yeah. list of Villa, Perlo, Gerrard, Lampard, mm-hmm. who came and still had something really significant to offer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, yeah, I think every, the 2018's squad is, is deep. That's a, that's a pretty good one. Do you want to hear my 2019 list? Sure. Nani, uh-huh. end of list. <laughs> I think with the 2021, so you uh, you mentioned a few in there. Did you get Zellerion at, at the crew? Yep. And uh, did you get, you, uh, even like Jurgen Locadia on loan from Brighton? No, yeah. That's one that I would say with FC Cincinnati. And, and Kubo at Cincinnati as well. Yeah, and yeah. Jao uh, Paulo at yes. Seattle from Botafogo. So even there, like, I think it's it's less. It's, it's wider, right? It's it's more quality players, but it's less sort of, apart from Chichurito, it's less sort of big name, mm-hmm. uh, marquee, we're going to sell tickets with this guy. Yeah, players. exactly. Yeah. It is players who will probably do better long term than a lot of the players that you listed in some of those earlier classes is what I'm going to call them. But they're certainly not as like big household names. Yep. Uh, there's a good article written by Graham Ruffin, who was on the show this week, that I Heard thought was, an, was interesting in this conversation as well, talking about Pizarro's decision to join Inter-Miami. You noted uh, the three-time Liga MX and two-time CONCACAF Champions League winner, who is also a first-team regular for the Mexican national team and arguably Liga MX's best player at the time of his departure. So I transferred to MLS as a viable career move. That is significant. Yeah. And I think that is part of it as well, that yes, it is MLS being like, here is our financial might. We've got the ability to spend. But it is also because of the valuation of, of MLS right now and how much money there is that they're able to do that and that players are starting to see it as a jumping off point, I think, factors into this as well. It's maybe why you're seeing like younger to middle 20s players going to MLS because maybe it is then more of a launching pad, which explains maybe the, the change in the big names to the better names is how I'm going to say it. And for more talk like that, yeah. listen to Allocation Disorder. I really enjoyed uh, yesterday's episode about MLS uh, becoming a se- more mm-hmm. and more of a selling league. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Good stuff from Sam and Paul. Agreeance. All right, Taylor, let's take a break and watch an entire soccer match. Hooray! And we're back. What a break it was. And the U.S. is still the best team in the world? Uh, obviously. Undeniably forever and ever. Even without Megan Rapino, which does not support my best player thesis. Uh, not This quite. game did not support my thesis. I think she's still like not fully fit. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter that as, uh, <laughs> as supporting evidence. Yeah. And I think on the whole, neither team was particularly sharp. And there was a few, I think there were a few players for the U.S. who, who showed pretty well consistently. Yeah. But I also think that because... It wasn't that tight of a game from start to finish. Maybe it wouldn't have even mattered if Megan Rapino was in there from start to finish. Who <laughs> so knows, Daryl? If you didn't see, I think you've had enough time for mm-hmm. a spoiler warning. It finished uh, USA 2, England nil in She Believes Cup. And once again in your face, Daryl. Once <laughs> again in your face. I, so I couldn't lose. I Genuinely, I was rooting for an England opening goal because I mm-hmm. wanted to see the US tested under Vlatko. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, instead, they never really got the chance, right? I think that... The, uh, we didn't we didn't rewatch this or anything, but I think the tactical takeaway is the U.S. denied England the middle of the field. Yep, um, pretty much the presence of uh, what Ertz, Haran, and Lavelle. Yeah, I put, England... put Ertz in like thirty point font, and then Haran yeah. and Lavelle. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't, and so England went down the wings right through Paris, especially. Did they do that 
deliberately or did they do that because they had no other choice? I mean, I think they wanted to do that uh, more than they, they wanted to go did. wide. I think so. I think they were deliberately trying to not play through the middle for fear of turning the ball over and unleashing a U.S. counterattack, especially since the United States pretty strong through the middle. Yeah. That said, the United States, at least in the first half, did a good job of sort of blocking options down those channels. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that's maybe the reason why England were forced into a lot of route one balls over the top. Yeah. The frustrating thing, I think, for American fans or for me specifically – was that when England would play those long balls, it felt like the United States would step and win them, would do a good job of sort of policing those, but then would themselves go right back to sort of direct passes or running at England. And that's where it felt sort yeah. of disjointed, sort of sloppy. Needed a fully fit Rapino. That might have been it. That might have been it. <laughs> Until the second half, uh-huh. right? Second half opens and the US scores two goals that don't appear that similar on paper. Oh, man. But when we rewatch the it's goals, amazing. There's a lot of similarities, it's, right? It's like you could really summarize them as fairly similar in that it is, what, Stamway uh, fouling somebody, yep. a long free kick from the United States that Lindsay Horan wins, mm-hmm. not very clean, like she doesn't win it into the path of an American teammate, but she flicks it on, causes England problems, England try to clear, fail. A bad United clearance States, from a, a blonde England centre-back. Exactly. The United <laughs> States then capitalize, pounce on that, move the ball quickly, exploit the kind of panic defending of England. Yep. Get two goals. And they're both exactly like that. Yep. So let's get specific. Let's sure. start with uh, the mm-hmm. first goal. The foul, the Stanway foul, yeah. is the hair pull on Tobin Heath. Which right? so she, she went back and protested. I was yeah. confused by that. It's an England corner. Mm-hmm. Um, Heath does look like she's starting a counterattack. Yep. I personally... For all her many talents, I would not be worried about a Tobin Heath counterattack at pace. No. I don't think Stanway needed to pull the hair. No. Um, and then deny it. She definitely did it, though. Um, she did. At the top of the, uh, of the US's box. All I can figure is that maybe she was trying to claim that, like, oh, no, I was just running with you and your hair got caught in my hand or something. Because yeah. it was really odd to me that she went back and sort of had a word with Tobin Heath that didn't appear to be like, hey, my bad. Mm-mm. It was much more of a, like, why are you on the ground? I didn't do anything. Yeah. Which the replays show to be not the case. Certainly. All right. So is it a direct ball? Yep. That then Lindsay Haran wins. And you can tell because she screams, Lindsay's ball. Lindsay's ball. And yeah. it sure was. It was. Because she gets there. But it forced to Steph Houghton, mm-hmm. England's centre back who I'm, I don't think she's aiming a pass like down the middle I think mm. she's just trying to blast it clear agreed it goes low it goes into the feet of is it Stanway again it is. and there's a real I think this is this is where this goal happens yes. Stanway is trying for the layoff to I think it's Walsh or Scott and then I, I, I think it's Scott I presume then Scott is supposed to maybe hit it long over the top for mm-hmm. White but the ball doesn't get there. No, and and if she had waited, uh, if she Stanway had waited two seconds and turned to her right, she had a uh, hemp yes, wide open wide on open. the left yeah. left channel that could have been an easier counterattack. This felt like a sort of pattern system of play that they had of mm-hmm. like ball clear, lay it off, ball over the top to Ellen White. This is where it came back to bite them a little bit because the repetition Ju- there. Juliet's wasn't in your plans. Mm-mm. There's a Juliet. It's not a slide tackle. It's, it's a, a slide tackle pass. It's, a it's slide everything you need, pass. man. It's, yeah. a, it's like a sliding in. I will either tackle you or poke the ball away. Is it more? It's more of a slide deception. Yes, perfect. <laughs> slide deception pass. Slide deception pass. Yep. Um, that I want to say goes into the feet of Carly Lloyd. You are correct. Is that correct? And this is where the magic happens, in my opinion. Yep. Carly Lloyd, impossible to tackle. She holds off Houghton, who's come out to try and win the ball, and ends up pulling Houghton way out mm-hmm. of where she should be, way yep. out of centre back, almost to the wing. Yep. Holds her off, holds her off, turns her, mm-hmm. um, turns her, and then plays the ball into Kristen Press. And Kristen Press has very smartly moved into the space yep. um, that Houghton has vacated where, by following Lloyd, mm-hmm. right? And then it's really good work from Lloyd as well because not only does she turn Houghton, but when she turns out towards the channel, it just makes uh, Williamson, the yeah. right back, just cheat over like another yard to the right just to make sure that Carly Lloyd isn't going to go 
blazing down that wing, which mm-hmm. is, again, a questionable decision. But it opens up even more space for Kristen Press, and that's why she's able to basically turn. It's a good turn from her, but she's basically able to turn, see the goal, take a touch, make sure no one else is around. She drinks a cup of tea to celebrate before <laughs> scoring. Then she bends it into the far corner. And it's an amazing goal, but England did not help themselves by putting it. any pressure on her. You know who would have uh, filled that space and not got tempted out wide like Williamson did? Lucy Bronze. That's probably true. That's probably Lucy true. Bronze would have took, taken that would have business. turned it all around for you, buddy. <laughs> that would have changed it all. Beautiful mm-hmm. curling strike from Kristen Press. It really is a nice strike. Yeah, and I didn't think... Like, we've only watched this once, and then we've watched, like, 15 minutes of the second half. But my impression, my takeaway from this one, is that Kristen Press did not do enough to really uh, supplant Megan Rapinoe. That when Megan Rapinoe mm-hmm. is fully fit, she will be starting there. Just because... Which is weird after watching that goal, yeah, right? But it yeah, is. the rest of the game, I don't think there's enough, enough no. from Kristen Press. I, I felt like she had some good moments. It's a high bar from Rapinoe, right? It You've really got to play is. really, really well yeah. to, and to again, space Rapinoe. I don't think that this was a sharp game for a lot of American players. Lindsey Rand passed out of bounds a couple times. Uh, I think Kelly O'Hara dribbled out of bounds once or twice. You can tell NWSL is not in season. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the sharpest players, in my opinion, were uh, Julie Ertz, who I thought was uh, immense, as always. Yep. Slight deception, good yeah. evidence. And Carly Lloyd. I thought Carly Lloyd was exceptional as well, not just for the assist for the first goal, but for her own goal, where she kind of, I do think, or her goal that she scored, not an own goal. Her goal uh, that is her own. Yeah. Uh, when she, I'm going to say this is Carly Lloyd being very clever and this recognizing the goal. that no one is aware that Carly Lloyd is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's... Uh, so we can go through the whole the whole yeah. passage of play. Mm-hmm. It starts with a Stanway foul on Carly Lloyd. <laughs> on Carly Lloyd. Yep. Yeah, it's a real slam into her mm-hmm. back. It's a it's a rough foul. Yeah. Um, it's don't almost, make Carly Lloyd mad. Don't make Carly Lloyd mad. Um, so then, what is there another the ball it's into the box from the free kick? Lindsay Rand wins it. Rand wins it in the air. <laughs> and this time it's Millie Bright uh-huh. England centre back. Who, Isn't that even worse, Clarence? It is right. It's yeah. kind of just not enough strength on it, so it doesn't go very far. It goes like ten yards to an American player. Oh, who's I the believe, American player? I, I think it's Kristen Press. This is where it's very good because Press. I guess I've just said I didn't think she had that good of a game. She scores a goal and has a great play here because she one time makes the quick decision. It's a quick pass into, I believe, Lindsay Horan yep. again, and that's when Lindsay Horan turns, opens up, chips that ball in for Carly Lloyd. So it's good a, awareness from Kristen Press. It's a very not. I love little chip passes like mm-hmm. this one from Horan to Lloyd. I, I love the pass, but I especially love Lloyd knowing exactly yep. where the offside line is. Mm-hmm. Because it's England left back Greenwood is just a little too deep, and Lloyd I think really smartly yeah. stays level with Greenwood. It's a, I think it's Greenwood. I think it's also Williamson. I think the two fullbacks are maybe yeah. a yard behind the two centre backs, which again maybe speaks to the lack of sort of familiarity chemistry in that England back line, or just the yep. like the lack Bronze of communication. Would have out. I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> so I think you have it's one of those like weird like you have the two centre backs forward to the two fullbacks a little bit further behind, and if you're a forward like Carly Lloyd, who's going to look up and down and see like okay, like no one seems to be aware that I am currently onside, mm-hmm. that is to for me. And then she receives the ball, mm-hmm. nice clean touch, yep. one touch to like get it away from her and another touch, yep. top corner. Yeah, and I think the commentator, uh, Julie Foudy, I think said like she doesn't quite control it, but she still takes it on the volley. I almost feel like she was kind of trying to do that, to get the power behind it, to get the lift behind it that it she does. It felt very under control. It's a good goal. It's a solid goal. <laughs> it's a good mm-hmm. goal. So 2-0 US. It didn't ever feel like they were going to let that lead slip. Again, mm-hmm. they, nothing came down the middle, right? Yeah, no, I think you pointed out when Julie Ertz's goal is ruled out for offside a couple minutes later, like she has the the great little like frustrated celebration reaction, which I enjoyed. She's then, laughing, right? And then she jogs past Carly Lloyd, who's also laughing, and they sort of high five. And I think you in that moment were like, "That's a team that knows they're winning." <laughs> like, yeah, like, they, like no, they know they've won. Yeah, I think exactly. Is what I said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, the mm-hmm. game was over. It was. Uh, we it did was. get an appearance from Rapino. We but did. Didn't look uh, fully sharp. I no. don't think. Um, no, I mean, I th- I really do think this was a game in which. 
no one looked fully, fully sharp to me. Carly Lloyd looked excellent. Julia Ertz maybe did. But I think, like I said to you, like maybe a minute or two before the United States score, like you could see that sort of like just a little like sloppiness of passing. I think Abby Dahlkemper plays it to Kelly O'Hara, but it's like five yards too far ahead of Kelly O'Hara. So she's barely able to keep it in bounds. She plays it to Haran. Haran immediately one times it straight out of bounds. Yeah. And it was like, I wish it had been the case that they came out of halftime and it was like, oh, here we go. It's like the tight U.S. machine and it's pass, 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 pass. And it still felt like they found a way to win, which yeah. is what the United States does. It was like a 10 minute spell where the mm-hmm. U.S. was crisp and the passing yeah, was sharp true, and the confidence was high. But yeah, it wasn't for 90 minutes. I do think there's not pressure on the US because this is more about like just like staking your claim for the Olympics, playing under Vlatko, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's worth remembering that England did win the She Believes yeah. Cup last time out. Mm-hmm. And I know the US definitely feels like we host this tournament, we own this tournament, yeah. no one else wins this tournament. Nope. So 2 0 no win against, the, against England, which last time was a 2 2 draw, I believe. Um, so they're, they're on path. They're, they're, they're on course to, to win She Believes Cup. Sunday night, the US mm-hmm. plays Spain. 5 p.m. Eastern kickoff on ESPN and Univision Deportes. There we go. There we go. And we're going to be back to review that uh, on Monday. You're going to be with me to do some weekend reviewing. I mean, I'm stepping in for uh-huh. Ryan weekend review. Ryan, I believe he's running the LA Marathon. I believe so. And he uh, he didn't want to attach a lapel mic and <laughs> record the Total Soccer Show while he was running around. He offered to try to find a quiet space in, I believe, Chicago O'Hare, where he has a uh, like four-hour layover. And I was like, it's fine, man. We yeah. can probably find a way to do it ourselves. That's okay. Also, it would not have sounded good. Also, no. Yeah, but mm-hmm. we appreciate the commitment, Ryan. And also, I think what... Uh, airports love is you having a bunch of wires and sort of crowding yourself into a corner and just looking suspicious while talking to yourself they'll love that they'll love that i mean as long as you don't leave all the wires unattended that's probably true i think they're fine <laughs> uh, so well done to the united states uh well done to us for answering list of questions but well done to everybody who sent us scouting reports oh yes all right oh yes he uh, I, oh. I said that with a question mark in case i had forgotten to do something else well I, one thing is if you have got a listener question you would like to send please send it to totalsoccershow.com slash questions taylor joined me in the question administration i did this week compiling questions mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions coming. All of my question, all the questions that were in there about like why aren't Man United better and who do Man United need to sign? I noticed that you removed all those. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, I, I replaced them with "What's your favorite thing about Wolves?" A, yeah, yeah, and we're <laughs> gonna get to that one. Um, I will say my my final really quick thing I wanted to say in terms of listener questions, but also the women's national team. You, uh, Daryl, not quite a listener, but occasionally a listener, proposed the question: uh, Is uh, Julie Ertz the most badass? player in the U.S. Women's National oh, Team right now. Oh, just in our general conversation. We're and we yeah. extend it to she might be the most badass player on either national yep. team for the United States. In terms of... There's like, no one I would like less want to go into a tackle with than her, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Tough in the tackle, mm-hmm. decisive when she's passing. Yep. I think I said it after she basically pulled off a, like a, a quick step over that mm-hmm. just fooled everybody. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, England's scared to go down the middle. Yeah, Julia's the, the big badass at the moment. Yep, there you go. All right, so... Get her on all the planes. That's Get what I say. Yes. Air marshal? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that if, you don't want, if you're afraid of her, there we go. We figured it out. Julie Ertz <laughs> plays for the national team. She's only 27. She's got a lot more time. Yep. When she retires, Air Marshal Ertz. Potential hijacker stands up, immediately slide tackled. Get down. It's I, over. I don't love reality shows. <laughs> this hijacking isn't happening. I, I feel like Julie Ertz and Zach Ertz uh, as Air Marshals should be maybe a sitcom, <laughs> like a, uh, a reality show sitcom sort of situation. I'm in for this. Would watch. Let's make it happen. Would watch. Yes. All right. You ready for scam reports? Speaking of Julie's. Oh, yeah. Julie Nishimura Jensen mm-hmm. is scouting Alan Halilovic, the 23-year-old Croatian midfielder for Heron Vane. 
Here you go, Taylor. Uh-huh. You ready for this grammar report? You look like you're about to say something. I'm still. I'm. I'm on. Like, is it? Is it like Marshall Earps? Like Marshall Earths? Like, do we go with that? Is it like Earths Marshalls? Like, what is the name of the reality show? Sly Deception. <laughs> Perfect. I apologize for derailing us with that one. <laughs> Back to the scouting report. So Julian Ishmael Jackson mm. scouting Alan Halilovich. Julie says Halilovich has been a regular 80th minute substitute in Heron Vane's league games. In or out? This past weekend, he got on the field a little earlier, 69th minute, so mm-hmm. he's been coming in in the 80th, and scored the equaliser in a 2-2 draw with Eddie O'Dane Haag. It was a beautiful curling shot and his first goal in almost a year. Unfortunately, the clip that has instead been retweeted endlessly was an earlier shot from the same game in which he overshot the goal and hit the unfortunately placed snack bar <laughs> kitchen behind the goal line. Maybe he was aiming for that. We don't know that. He might have been. Yeah. Also, I was still on the air marshal thing. But yes, I think he's an 80th minute substitute regularly. Subs yep. on to the 80th minute. But here, there you go. Gets a goal. Hits the snack bar. What more do you need? Tom Gaffney scouting James Sands, 19-year-old American defensive midfielder for NYCFC. Sands went the full 90 again as NYCFC advanced in the CONCACAF Champions League uh, with a 1-0 win over San Carlos. We were at that game. Yeah. We watched him sort of specifically because that's a yeah. play that neither one of us has seen a lot of. He looked good. Uh, he'll continue. He fine is what I'm going to say. Like, yeah. I was hoping to be super impressed by like James Sands' distribution foody. or something, but yeah, yeah, yeah. look, foody. yeah, uh, he'll need to continue his foot form as it's reported that NYC has just signed highly touted young Uruguayan defensive midfielder Nicolas Acevedo. Dennis Dugan is scouting João Martinho, the 22-year-old Portuguese defender for Orlando City, and I believe number one draft pick back in the day. You are correct. Um, back in the day, two Den- years ago. Dennis says, Martinho was WhoScored.com's man of the match in Orlando's season-opening 0-0 draw with Rail Salt That's Lake. the dream. His good positioning and vision allowed him to play several chipped balls into the left channel that led to chances, and he even popped up in Zone 14 on a few occasions. That's adventurous for a left-back. This scouting report makes me really happy I didn't watch that game. He was man of the match, and then that description was like, he was involved. <laughs> it's like, so a thrilling no-no draw. Got it. Uh, Alan Bedford scouting Jonathan Lewis, 22-year-old American forward for the Colorado Rapids. Uh, in the 85th minute, uh, 85th minute substitute, excuse me, Jonathan Lewis won it for the Rapids in the 92nd minute of their season opener against DC United. He was in the right spot at the end of what appears to be a not entirely planned seven-pass sequence, putting it in the near post. I have seen this goal. There we go. Richie Garcia scouting Emerson Hindman, 23-year-old American midfielder for Atlanta United. Richie says, Hindman has solidified his spot in mm-hmm. front of the Boers' first team. He tends to function as a roaming number eight, paired with Eric Remedy in the middle. In the opener against Nashville, um, Heinemann scored the game-winning goal on a spectacular volley to the top corner that he one-timed off his chest into the, at the top of the box. Yep. Emerson received the Man of the Match award for that and other efforts. Um, I would add that one-timed off his chest would be two-timed. Uh, but yes, <laughs> otherwise, correct. Uh, Mark Gardberg scouting Patrick Schick, 23-year-old Czech striker for Leipzig. Schick scored a goal in second place Leipzig's 1-1 draw with fifth place Leverkusen last weekend. Uh, that was his seventh goal in 15 appearances, far outpacing the eight he scored for Roma in 46 appearances the prior two full seasons. Unrelated, but a story worth noting, uh, Leipzig is currently taking heat for asking 20 visiting Japanese fans to leave over coronavirus concerns, which is a very bad look. Daryl's uh, health meter agrees. Not a great look. So probably someone out there would already know this, but um, this is my Omnipod, uh-huh. my, my, my insulin uh-huh. delivery system, fully expiring. There we go. So I've had to stop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but as soon as we're done recording the show, I'm going to replace my Omnipod. But at least you moved it closer to the mic while it was going off. So that's useful. 
I did my best. All I can say <laughs> is I did my best under difficult circumstances. I appreciate that you didn't go my route when the when the smoke detector won't stop beeping, which is smash it a bunch and then hide it under the mattress. Oh, that would be definitely. I have actually done that. I'd be causing a lot more trouble than I'd be solving <laughs> if I smash my Omnipod a bunch. Uh, that's probably true. That's probably true. Don't do that. No, I will not do mm-hmm. that. So uh, thank you to Mark Gardberg uh-huh. for uh, wording his uh, wording his report very nicely for us yeah. to read. We should address the um, the twenty visiting Japanese fans asked to leave. Mm-hmm. Just because you're Asian does not mean you have coronavirus. No, it does not. I think that's worth pointing out to yeah. RB Leipzig. Wasn't it you telling me that like people coming in from China are being quarantined and people coming coming in from Italy are not? So uh, that was a joke on yeah. the SNL uh-huh. sketch, which also I went to see my doctor. This is the one, yeah. Yeah, I went yeah. to see my doctor. I think I won't name the institution or the doctor mm-hmm. just in case um, anyone's upset about mm-hmm. this. He had come back from a conference in Japan mm-hmm. and the hospital told him, not to come in. Yeah, yeah, right. But then no such concerns about... No such concerns yeah. for doctors coming back from Italy. Yeah. I think just the whole, like, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but the, the response to the coronavirus feels very uncoordinated and um, ad hoc yes. is the word I'm going to yeah. use. Yes, it yeah. does. A bit like England's defending. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And with better clearance rates, I guess? We'll find out soon. I guess we'll we find will. Out soon. <laughs> Jeff Markman uh-huh. is scouting Reese Nelson, 20-year-old English midfielder for Arsenal. Jeff says, Reese Nelson made his latest full return from injury for Arsenal in the FA Cup match away to Portsmouth. Just before half-time, Nelson found space on the right wing and fizzed a low cross into the box that Socrates volleyed in to put Arsenal ahead 1-0. A few minutes after half-time, Nelson sped past his man on the right flank and found Eddie Nketiah in the box, who eventually pulled the trigger, thereby giving Nelson his second assist. It would have been three if Gabriel Martinelli had converted on a header earlier in the game, but all in all, it was a great return to action for Nelson. Gabriel Martinelli, one of those punk kids. That's a reference for Scooby-Doo fans. Arsenal's full of punk kids. I kind of like it. Yeah, all right. Are they the new Chile? Maybe. They need some more tattoos. Maybe. They need some more tattoos. Uh, Brad uh, Wilgus, final report of the day, scouting Rainier Jesus, the 18-year-old Brazilian midfielder for Real Madrid. I'm going to say uh, Jesus. That's fine. Uh, it won't matter because I think he's going by Rainier. Okay. Uh, Rainier debuted on February 23rd against San Sebastian's B team, played 66 minutes. His performance was solid enough, and he had a lovely back heel assist for Rodrigo. His second appearance was much more pedestrian as his team were waxed uh, 4-0 by Pontevedra. All right. Mm-hmm. A Brazilian wax. Apparently. <laughs> Thank you to everybody. A Spanish-Brazilian wax, I guess. Thank you to everybody for the scouting reports. A Brazilian wax um, by Spaniards? I did promise to send scouting reports while I was in Boston. Mm-hmm. I then forgot to take my laptop with mm. me. So I was unable to send scouting assignments mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't take my laptop. Turns out, though, you don't take your laptop, your backpack's way lighter. So That makes sense. I apologize for not sending those assignments. I did come out the winner in terms of uh, back comfort. <laughs> and you saw Jojo Rabbit, right? Was I did. That, I went to see Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, I liked it. I, I, thought, I, it was, yeah. I thought it was really good. Have Ta- you seen it? Taika's the best. No, I have not. I just presume it's good because it's Taika. Taika is the best. He's yeah. awesome. Um, it's all, also, turns out, Sam Rockwell's the best. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did he dance? I feel like he always dances. No. Really? But he was... He Gotta was, get him dancing. He was surprisingly flamboyant. I'm not going to say anything, so it's kind of a spoiler, so I don't want to give uh-huh. anything away. Yeah. Um, thank you to everybody for the scouting report. Scouting assignments will be sent on Friday, because Friday is going to be admin day on the Total Soccer Show. <laughs> Perfect. I've declared it a national admin day. Um, yeah, I, feel, I feel the need to clarify, sadly, that Sam Rockwell, no relation. Oh, are know, you sure? Right? I, I wish, and I do kind of... Do you asked Ancestry.com and 23 Me. I should find out. I will say that I cannot dance in any way close to what he can do. Although I feel like he is <laughs> mostly just doing a James Brown impression, but he does it very, very well. 
Salute to someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Taylor, for taking the time to talk to me today. Right, I got you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll be back on Monday with a weekend review. <laughs> <laughs>